Warning, the episode you are about to listen to most likely contains graphic language, details of violence and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode three of Murder With My Mother. I'm the mother half, Christy. And I am the one she gave birth to. I'm Danica. If you're back to listen to episode three, thank you for following our podcast. And if you're new, then welcome to Murder With My Mother, where each week my daughter and I tell some stories of true crime. We are lifelong true crime connoisseurs. I like to consider myself. I don't know if you're allowed to consider yourself a connoisseur, but I do. Well, I think you're a connoisseur in your own right. Yeah, all my girlfriends, whenever anyone would come over, they'd be looking for Cosmos or whatever on the table, but it's always like notorious serial killers or like forensic files in the background all the time. Well, people can (laughs) see the wall in our podcast room. It's covered with newspaper clippings about serial killers, along with an I love my mom (laughs) mural. I feel very privileged to be up there with the killers. Yes, I hold you all close to my hearts, except not the killers, obviously, but true crime. So I think the one thing that catches people about true crime is that it could be any one of us by circumstance. That could be a victim, of course, not a killer. I could be out there online dating and meet someone that you didn't expect to be who you thought they were. Another thing, too, is sometimes the people that you think you know, you may not know them as well as you think you do. That's why we call this week's episode, Do You Really Ever Know Someone? And apparently, even if you're married to them or you have a long relationship, there's been a lot of cases I can recall where it is always a person closer and closest to the victim that has been the murderer. That's the one thing I've always gotten from watching uh, like 48 Hours or any of the like as they're unfolding crime stories. It's always the person closest. And you're yelling at the TV like, it's the husband, it's the, it's the husband, he did it. And then it's always a life insurance or something like that. Affairs, it's always affairs. Yeah, an affair or money. It's always, yeah, love or money. Love or greed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, today's case takes us to a little island off the coast of Vancouver Island called Hanson Island. This case actually came to me in a very... I guess like a meant to be way. I was sitting with my stepmom on my dad's boat on the North Island and I was telling her about the podcast that we were proposing to do and she told me the beginnings of the story of the murder on Hanson Island. So thank you Vivian for your suggestion. Thank you Vivian. It's been very interesting and eye-opening. It's led us to places. I can't believe I didn't hear about this. And I did it like the trial happened where we were born in Campbell River. I'm usually all over that. So I'm surprised I didn't hear about this case. So it's another one that's close to home. It's very close to where I actually grew up, Port McNeil, which is just south of Port Hardy. So Hanson Island, the only way to get there is by boat. And it's basically just a remote island with a fishing lodge on it. So our story begins on May the 1st, 2013. Uh, There were two adult sisters, young adults, Jessica and Victoria. They were excited to go meet their mother and travel to a remote island on which she and her husband 
Trago and Dreddy were living as caretakers at a fishing lodge. And they had moved there from Manitoba, so there are no fishing lodges in Manitoba because there are no oceans in Manitoba. So that would be a super cool vacation to take if you weren't from somewhere over like British Columbia where we have the mountains and the ocean. And they'd also been caretakers on that island since 2008. So their mom had been away from them for a long time and she was pretty secluded. So communication was a little harder. And I read that they had quite a close relationship. So they were pretty close with their mom. I mean, something like you and I, I talk to you every day, multiple times a day. Like I call, I don't want to say I call you for everything, but I basically call you for everything. So yes, you do. So uh, when the girls got to Port McNeil to meet their mom, she wasn't there. Her husband, Trago Andretti, showed up at the ferry and told them that their mom had taken off to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody came and told me that you had just taken off and just left, I mean, at first I would probably be kind of like, oh, okay, well, do you, girl. <laughs> but <laughs> but then I would, again, quickly worry and if you see pictures of Trago Andretti, I don't want to give anything away. God, he's creepy. He's super creepy looking. Super. So I wouldn't take his word really. So So they knew that he was lying right away. And it's reported that one of them even said, you killed our mom, didn't you? Oh my God. I would have launched myself at him and bit his jugular out. <laughs> no, okay, wait. Okay. Taking it a little far. But... Yeah, sorry. So their mother's name was Jennifer McPherson. She was born October 1972, and she was of Indigenous heritage from a tribe in Manitoba. She was actually named after her mother's sister, Jennifer Johnson, who just happened to have been murdered in a room where her, the younger Jennifer was sleeping at the time. She was stabbed by a family friend. So that's so weird. Yeah, they've already had a pretty tragic start to life. Yeah, that's so sad, especially if you're in the room and a family member's taken such a such a brutal, violent attack. That's some, child. Yeah, that's something that will really mess with your psyche. So this story is a little ironic in that regard, for sure. 2007, Jennifer was online dating in Winnipeg, and she met uh, Trago Andretti, who also went by the name Dylan Grubb. I don't know how those two things go together. But. No, that's why I asked in the beginning when we were doing the research. I said, "How did he? How did he get Dylan Grubb from Trago? What's his middle name? Ekid. Yeah, Trago Ekid Andretti. And I'm going to say that maybe that's Italian. Uh, I don't it know. Sounds yeah, it sounds. But anyway, European. so they met. Uh, online and then it moved really quickly. She was eventually super quickly living with him in the rooming house that he lived in and then shortly after that they got married in the same rooming house. So remember the rooming house because that comes back. The family said that right away when they met each other that he was pretty controlling and she stopped talking to them as much and withdrew. Which would be a total red flag if you were close with your mom or close with your family member and they started dating somebody that kind of kept them or away from the rest of the family that's a definite red flag well the red flags were right because in 2008 he was actually charged with a violent assault on jennifer oh, mother effer i'm trying to watch my swear words i'm sorry everybody i have a swear like a trucker I so. Like the <laughs> well, so fuck 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 just kidding <laughs> so he got probation but she actually stayed by his side so 
you know, the typical pattern of abused and abuser. Um, yeah, yeah. They have a really strong hold usually. I mean, if they keep getting doing that to you and you go back, go back, go back, that is something where they have a grip on you. They have that manipulative hold. You know, I love you. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. And no, maybe they won't do that again, but they'll, they will escalate and they will do something even worse to you every time it will escalate. It will get worse and worse and worse. No matter how nice the makeup present exactly, is or yeah. how good the makeup sex is oh, or yeah. how in love you are after, don't stand for being abused. Never. No. Don't ever, ever, ever stand for that. There's our PSA for the yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The there we go. <laughs> it's Anyways. a serious one though. So, so um, also in 2008, they both accepted jobs as caretakers on Hanson Island, a remote wilderness island, as we've said already. And it's just south of Alert Bay, which is a uh, mainly indigenous island on uh, just you take a ferry from Port McNeil to get there. So that would have been extremely remote. So now you're not only being abused, but you're in a remote setting with your abuser well that's usually how the abuser likes it they kind of make it so that they are pulling you away from your family pulling you away from the place you feel the safest pulling you so you only have them and they are your everything but they are also the ones that are abusing you so yeah it's a to be that far away from the people you love and your family that would be scary it was said in the reports that i've read and i've researched this pretty deeply that she actually loved it up there she yeah who wouldn't yeah i mean it's beautiful and she had a you know pretty free lifestyle and yeah the natural beauty up there is crazy nice well especially like i said if you're from the prairies yeah that's and, true yeah and anyone i know that comes here they're like oh my god you guys have the oceans and mountains yeah it's pretty astonishing yeah we are lucky to live where we live that's why we pay one million dollars in rent a month yes so. <laughs> so back to jennifer's daughters they knew that he was lying and they went to the local police i believe in port mcneil to report their mother was missing well the police went and they investigated it and well, they knew he was lying right yeah away, they knew the story it. was like i if i just would look at a picture of him i know he's lying yeah. not like before he, i mean okay Maybe I've seen this play a lot because, like I said, I watch Forensic Files. I watch it's usually the guy that looks like the creepy killer is usually the creepy is the creepy killer, especially if he's the husband. So Yeah, it's got a double strike there. <laughs> so the police, they went over to Hanson Island with some police dogs and Trago disappeared for like three days. But when the police were over there, they found uh, human remains. The dogs found human remains scattered all over the island. The remains had been burnt and some of them put in, what did you say, Mom, lobster, lobster traps? Trap. Yep. Like just crazy, gruesome, gruesome. Some of them were just cut up and buried. I mean, it was, he had dismembered her pretty thoroughly. And randomly, like he yeah. just randomly, he like to do that, to put your wife's body parts into a lobster trap and also just burn them yeah. and scatter them. And that's crazy. So he eventually called police and gave up his whereabouts and said that he was suicidal. So he got checked into a hospital and then the police came and interviewed him and he admitted the whole thing. He said actually that he had been fantasizing about killing Jennifer for the past five years and he didn't even really know he was going to do it that day, but he, something came over him 
uh, even though I'm sure it had already been over him. He yeah. just gave into his sick, I don't even know, like, what did you call that? An urge? Gave into his urge that to kill his wife? I don't know. I don't get that urge. I mean, I don't have a wife, but I don't think that I would want to. Uh. So, well, it's hard to understand the criminal mind, I guess, when you're not a criminal. No, yeah. So it was, he told a story that he actually had lured his wife into the forest under the guise of sexual adventure because her daughters were coming for a long visit so he said to her you know come on before your daughters get here we can have a fun outside sexual escapade i guess and the sick part of it was that he filmed the whole thing yeah he set up a tripod and brought her to this area with a tree she was actually a willing participant at this point he tied her her hands and feet to the tree and then as he was going to tie a rope around her neck she was laughing and said make sure you don't tie it too tight and then he did tie it too tight he actually strangled her and killed her right at that point yeah and when he's filming you can see her struggle obviously for her life and once you once she is deceased he goes over and he admitted that he watched the tape about three or four times over after he had killed her. Sick fuck. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> so then I guess after he was finished watching the tape, just so terrible, he dismembered her and like we said, placed her body all around. Scattered Hansen it all Island. over Hanson Island, yeah. So he had admitted the whole thing and it was all captured on video and then he decided that he was going to say he didn't do it, which was ridiculous, clearly. Must have been all the other people that lived on that island. Well, or the, pe the people that looked exactly like his clone that were on the video. Yeah, oh it. yeah, I forgot about that part too, yeah. So he... <laughs> really went, getting away with it. He went even further than that. Uh, he was, he was uh, obviously, they because his actions were so crazy, they had to make sure that he was fit to stand trial that he knew right from wrong so he was declared fit to stand trial but then he started doing other odd things like he refused to get a lawyer he was going to represent himself oh those are the best ones yeah always so he went to court in Campbell River in August and was charged with first-degree murder, which he pled guilty to first-degree murder, but the judge rejected it because he had lack of counsel. He didn't have any lawyer. Yeah, and the judge, it's his duty to make sure that that, that person gets a fair trial so nothing can come back on them. So exactly. it can't be used against the system later to say, oh, he didn't have a fair trial because he didn't have an attorney. So he then later wrote a statement saying that he understood his rights and he didn't want a lawyer. So the trial went ahead without a lawyer. He pled guilty. And the only person, um, Jennifer's family was not there. The only person in the courtroom was his own brother, who he didn't even make eye contact with the whole time. Well, he probably felt like a, like a, such a loser. I mean, a crazy... I mean, okay, loser well, is probably loser an understatement. Little, yeah. No, you know what I mean. But like, imagine if you did that and your family comes, you, you would feel so much shame. I don't know if this guy was capable of feeling shame. Uh, it said in the documents uh, also that he had a certain type of autism that was controlled with medication, but I've never heard of autism being controlled by medication. No, um, me neither. And we've worked with adults with special needs with differing abilities, a, yeah. a lot of them with autism spectrum disorder. I could be wrong and you, yeah, could, you be could be wrong, but I've never heard of one controlled by medicine. But I would think too, like, if that was your brother and you grew up with him, you must know that he's fucked up. Oh, yeah. So, I mean... I he probably wasn't know. surprised yeah, at all. there was probably no surprise. No. So, while he was in jail, 
there was another murder that came to light. It doesn't really come as a surprise to me, but it came as a surprise to investigators who were interviewing Trego. And when he said that he had done other evil things in his life before this, so being from Winnipeg, obviously, they tracked his moves. And in 2006, Trego Andretti was dating a woman named Myrna LaTondra. Very briefly, they only dated for a couple weeks. And she just happened to go missing. Yeah, she went missing. And what he told people, so he told Myrna's family, obviously, when they're going to come and inquire about her whereabouts, not hearing from her. And also, she had disability checks that were coming in, but were not being cashed. So that's a big, huge, giant neon flag. And so he told people that she had left him for uh, a guy in the bar. Myrna's sister actually had a gut feeling. She knew something was off. Uh, she told the police that she thought that Trago Andretti had done something to her sister. And the police interviewed him, but they didn't do anything further. So in 2012, there was a task force formed called Project Devote. So the Project Devote task force um, is focused on missing and murdered Indigenous women. So on May 9th, 2013, the police in that area got a tip from police in British Columbia to search the uh, rooming house on Lorne Avenue, the one that Trego Andretti had lived in and married Jennifer McPherson in, in 2007. How creepy is that? She was living and got married right in the place where he'd already killed someone else. They had discovered Myrna's remains buried in the foundation of the rooming house. And some evidence that he had also burnt some of the remains. Her head was found actually in the crawl space. Oh, that's so creepy. So, yeah, that is super creepy. So, um, Myrna's sister, though, she knew. She knew that Trego had done something because... She had just met Trego. She wasn't with him for very long. I think there were red flags, obviously, that you're probably going to tell your sister or divulge to someone that's close to you. But apparently the police didn't do anything about uh, her telling them that her sister was missing. And it is really sad because in Canada, we do still have a lot of systemic racism. And there are a lot of murdered and missing Indigenous women. And it's not looked into properly. It is a miscarriage of justice. It's something that should not happen, but yet it continues to happen. And for some reason, the police do not want to investigate missing and murdered Indigenous women. It's just something that it, it, I can't wrap my head around it because there's, I, I, I don't know. And actually, when Jennifer's case first came into the media, she was listed as Caucasian. And one of the articles that I read, her family hesitated to get that changed because they thought if she was listed as a Caucasian woman, that her case would get more attention. That is so sad that you would have to downplay your own heritage and your own ethnicity. That's so crazy that the, that the family had to have that ideal, you know, and that there is so much racism, especially yeah, in the, and they, within the police. Yeah, they had lived with it for their whole lives, so. Yeah you're aware of it it's not you're not oblivious to that that's something when you grow up like that that's something that is very obvious to you terrible so once they found the remains in winnipeg trego was extradited after he was convicted for the murder of jennifer back to winnipeg and he of course flipped and flopped 
didn't get counsel, said he was going to plead guilty, then would say he didn't do it, then he was going back and forth. He was finally convicted of the murder of Myrna and given the maximum sentence for that as well. When Trago was asked why he killed her, he said he didn't even know why he killed Myrna. They had spent a few lovely weeks together and it was just an urge he had, so he did it. I think when somebody is like that, they, yeah, you just have an urge and I guess you just go with, you go with whatever that urge is telling you to do. I think it's, it's like a, they lust for it. Like, especially if you've done it once, you just want to do it again if you get away with it. And who knows his history? I mean, there's a lot of murdered and missing women that no one's ever accounted for. He was obviously a serial killer because he killed more than one person. Well, and my mom had said that he actually would go fishing for indigenous women to to victimize and to target. Yeah, there was a system where people of indigenous heritage could look for jobs and it was a, a message board they could leave voice messages on and he would call back the women that he thought sounded uh, cute or sexy or whatever, maybe vulnerable. He had set himself up uh, as a company that was looking for employees of indigenous heritage and that's actually how he met Myrna in the first place. That's so messed up to go and you ploy and you're you're taking advantage of people at a disadvantage. You're literally looking for somebody as they're trying to better their lives. You're looking to bring them down and to victimize them. Well, and he should have gotten first degree murder because that's, that's premeditated. premeditated if I ever heard of it, especially when look at it's not a secret how indigenous people are treated, yeah. especially in the justice system. So to think, okay, if I murder this woman or if something happens with this woman, no one's gonna notice. No one's gonna care or notice, which is a horrible thing to even think, but he got away with it for the first time and he got away with it for many years until he killed his second victim. Yeah. Crazy guy. And apparently at uh, Myrna's trial, he was just laughing and looking at the family. And they were quoted as saying at the end of the trial that they hope he rots in hell, which I, I guess... Don't I, blame them. Yeah, I don't blame them either. Because he is a creepy... He looks like he, uh, he came from hell already. Like, he yeah. is so creepy. He has a very, very... He has dead eyes. Yeah, we'll put a picture of him up on the uh, website and the Instagram page also so you guys can see. Yeah, and so he had been at a regional psychiatric center because he was clearly, I think after the way he acted in court, I mean, he he got found fit to stand trial, but I really don't think that he was all there. Well, he kept saying also that he was going to kill himself. He was going to commit suicide. And in 2015, Jennifer McPherson's mother went to visit him in a psychiatric facility in Winnipeg and being the beautiful human being she is, told him that she forgave him and please do not kill yourself. So that was pretty big of her. He was pure evil and she was pure kindness. So in 2015, he was housed in a locked unit in a psychiatric facility because he was suicidal and he was checked on once an hour and Oddly enough, they found him dead from apparent suicidal injuries. The weird thing was, is that there was no sharp object in the room. And yeah, and no he, one else had come or gone. No, and he bled to death uh, from a deep gash in his left arm. And he had made a basin to which he bled into, and he was laying there uh, that looked like he was just sleeping when he was actually dead. 
Yeah, and all his notes that he left, he left a bunch of crazy notes, and they're they're super messed up. I mean, some of them don't even make sense, and some of them are just like in one of them he says, "I ain't my ashes, I'm dead," and what a fine day to die. One cut I'll try, see what light is at the end of the tunnel and come back. So some of them make no sense. Like, okay, in this one, just a little glimpse into his mind, it says, if I get another life, I'm going to be a lesbian, a super sexy one. Being a man is too easy. Avril Lavigne plays cool. I vote yes for another planet for humans. So obviously this guy was struggling with some kind of mental illness that's very apparent by his actions and his yeah he's crazy yeah he also actually now that i'm talking about how crazy he was uh he wrote um r.i.p like there was a uh a cross on the wall in his own blood yeah a cross on the wall drawn and apparently where he was sitting the way that he was able to kill himself, none of those things were, you know, if a guard had walked by and seen those, that's kind of like a big giant, like, come check on me, there's a big cross on my wall, but he had hit it, so you had to go into his cell to see it, and obviously that's when they found him dead, and that's when they found the notes and the basin and all that stuff. Fucked up! Strange guy. Super weird. See, what I took from this episode is that there is a lack and... Uh, in investigating missing and murdered indigenous people in general women are a big huge part of that but it's crazy to me that that still exists and something like that is looked at as a person's life is is less valuable because of the color of their skin or because of where they come from or yeah i uh, that blows my mind that there are people there are multiple serial killers that I know of that victimize indigenous people on purpose or victimize people that struggle with addiction, people that struggle with mental health, sex workers. Yep. Every anyone vulnerable, there is somebody that's preying on them. And obviously we'll never have a lack of cases, which is really sad, but there needs to be something that happens where there's more value put into these people's lives that goes for everything that's going on with the black lives matter movement right now as well right it's it's the people who are treated unfairly and poorly because of the color of their skin or because of where they come from that is not right and to get away with murdering somebody because they are indigenous or because they are african-american or because they are mexican or they look different or they're you know any color that should not justify murder ever nothing justifies murder as we all know but there's some sick people in this world and sick minds complete sick actions betty rourke who was jennifer's mom was asked one day from a friend randomly do you have any rosaries to give to other victims families and rourke was of the catholic faith so she used them to soothe her grief soon she began crafting small bracelets made from rosary beads handing them out to anyone who asked to honor her sister. But decades later, after her daughter was murdered and following her jailhouse meeting with Andretti, she was inconsolable. She stopped attending hearings of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. She stopped seeking guidance from a traditional healing lodge and she cocooned herself up from the world. She said she was ready to give up, and once her friend asked her if she had rosary beads she could share with other families, she discovered a new source of healing. 
She now makes the bracelets beaded in red and personalized with the names of Canada's other missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. She gives the bracelets to their extended families and survivors. So nice when someone takes their pain and grief and can turn it into something nice to comfort other families that she knows going through the same thing. You hear about that a lot and that's very touching and such a nice way to touch people's lives when they're going through something hard where they don't understand. It's nice to reach out and be that She that said comfort. it makes her it makes her feel lifted up and makes other know others know their loved ones are not forgotten. Yeah, that's very nice. So, as we said before, the motive for murder is generally love or greed, but this crazy guy had neither one of those. Yeah, none. Absolutely nothing except the urge and he Dated multiple times. He told he told his own mom and he told the police that he had been fantasizing about killing Jennifer for at least five, five years. He told her mom that when yeah. she went to visit him. And he couldn't explain why. He just knew that he had had the urge to kill her for five years. And poor Jennifer had no idea the whole time that this was in his mind. And that may be the creepiest part of all of it is that he had done it before and she lived as husband and wife with a man that was a serial killer and had no idea who she married in the same room as the, his first victim's remains were unknowingly in the foundation of that room so on that note <laughs> i'm gonna take a while i think before i go online and start meeting new men. <laughs> well it just shows you that anybody can be a chameleon yeah or in this case like a I don't even know. The police had asked Trago in the interview, did you kill any other women besides Jennifer and Myrna? He didn't answer. That's so creepy because he 100% did. If a guy, he was, he started laughing when he was pleading guilt, trying to plead guilty to Myrna's murder. He started like laughing, hysterically laughing. Uh, well, Trago apologized to Myrna's family and asked for the maximum sentence for himself. He said, I'm sorry, but that seems insufficient for the loss. I tried to justify it myself, but I don't know if there was anything less than evil involved, is what he said to the judge at his sentencing when he was given a sentence. He said it wasn't, it wasn't enough. So he even knew what he did was so evil that he wanted an even longer sentence. Another scary thing about the circumstance was that when Andretti killed Jennifer McPherson, he was already in contact with another woman on Craigslist. So imagine if he hadn't been caught for the murder of Jennifer, he would have just continued on. Yeah, like if, if he didn't, because he decided to turn himself in. He went and stayed at his family member's house for three days after he killed Jennifer. And then he turned himself in. Imagine if he didn't turn himself in and he went on the run. He probably would have been responsible for a lot more vile, horrible things happening around. Especially on Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island's not that big. And look how much chaos you could cause. Well, and a lot of people are very trusting in those communities also. I yeah, know. like I don't lock my front door because I was raised by you and no one ever taught me yeah. to lock my front door. It's true because back in... <laughs> I do Port now because I live in Surrey. Yeah, but back in Port McNeil, no one ever did. We just didn't lock our cars. We didn't lock our doors. It may be different now. I haven't lived there for many years, but I suspect it is not. Well, and think about it. If you come from somewhere like Winnipeg and you took off with this man and you married him so fast you're obviously very trusting which is you know that's not a bad quality to have obviously 
it's a bad quality when someone's taking advantage of you and they're using that to their advantage and murder you. So it's really sad to say because if Myrna's disappearance was taken seriously and investigated properly, who knows if Jennifer would still be alive today because she wouldn't be married to that man because that man would be in jail. If they had searched the rooming house like the family had told the police, they would have found her remains and she, he would have been locked away. So Jennifer and Myrna's families came together after these events unfolded. And that was the one thing that they both said. If, if it had been taken seriously with the murder of Myrna, Jennifer would still be alive to this day. Jennifer's family said it was her last act of kindness, which is really sad. Oh. The fact that she died and it prevented other people from dying, but it is very sad because it could have all been prevented. Yeah, and it gave Myrna's case new life. She it's almost like she sacrificed her life for Myrna, you know, for Myrna's remains to be found and for Myrna's family to have some peace as well, which is she was such a kind woman everyone around her loved her and she was great and she made the mistake of falling in love with a man who showed her a face that he wanted her to see and that was the last face that she saw and probably not the one she was used to i mean i'm sure you could get a glimpse of evil as you're married to somebody but you never probably know the full version of the evil and they have you at their mercy you know yeah until you're at their mercy and they are killing you because how would you ever until someone fully snaps you don't know what they're really capable of there's a facebook page remembering jennifer mcpherson and it's a glimpse into her beautiful soul and how close she was with her family with aunties and cousins and her daughters and they look like such a beautiful family and it's really sad on there one of the friends announces that her daughter's going to be giving birth to her first child which would have been Jennifer's first grandchild and she wasn't around to see any of it because of the tragedy that occurred very sad to not be there for anything that your family's gonna have now because this man took it upon himself to take your life Case today was researched mostly by my mom. What we've decided to do is each week I'm going to pick a case and we're going to alternate. She's going to pick a case. So it's kind of always different and kind of keeps it up. And we would really love suggestions from you guys about what cases we should cover because that would be awesome. We know which ones we want to do, but that would be super cool to hear from you guys about what cases you want us to cover so we can give you guys what you guys want to hear. I've actually had a couple of good suggestions from people, so we'll keep those ones in mind. Yeah, we would love to venture out, obviously, but I mean, hearing about all these things and they're so close to home and there's some more cases we want to cover that happen very close to where we live. And remember guys, don't be afraid to email us with suggestions, DM us on Instagram, go on our Facebook page, Murder With My Mother podcast, and leave it on there. We would love to hear from you guys. We love all the messages we've been getting so far. You guys are awesome and we'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for all the positive feedback and we hope to hear some more after this week. Yeah, yeah so this episode was really hard to research because of the... The timeline kind of jumps around from the murders. Yeah, and obviously we have to do the murder in sequence of, again... Jennifer's murder is the reason that Myrna's murder even came to light. Before that, she was just a, mur a missing person. And a missing person whose case kind of got a little bit... Wrong by the wayside. Yes, exactly. We wish love and healing to both the families. And we hope we presented your loved one's case in a manner that would honor them 
just like every episode. We really, that's something that is very important to us. So thanks again for listening, everyone. And we'll be back next Thursday with another episode of Murder With My Mother. Where I talk murder with my mother. Murder.